Welcome back to the Bag Drop, Untold Stories in Golf. Professor, top of the morning to you. Good morning to you, Matt. And today is a good day. I actually get to play some golf. Um, I, doesn't happen enough anymore, but sitting here looking out at a golf course, ready to get out there. You know what, what as, as um, the leader of this podcast, I was very uh, happy to see, because you know, sometimes, Kevin, I'll get those messages from you where it's like, well, hey, golf's on the agenda. I don't know about Friday. We'll see. <laughs> but this, the commitment, what time were you up this morning? You were up early. You got to the course. Yeah. You, you found a boardroom. Yeah, I'm sitting here in a grand boardroom, 14-person table, all by myself. Feels kind of weird, especially because we just never sit in board work, uh, rooms in the academy. But I hit the road about 5.45 a.m. because that Atlanta traffic is no joke. So yeah, every time I got to come up here, yeah, it's to play golf, but also there's a little bitterness in me and like, dang it, I got to deal with Atlanta traffic. So beat that up. I have to say the Waffle House on, I think it's Medlock and uh, State Bridge Road, elite Waffle House elite so <laughs> yeah, top, if you're looking top tier. top tier if you're looking i mean all waffle houses are great but if you're looking for an elite one medlock and uh state bridge road up here by right right next door to the st ives and atlanta athletic club I, you know, there. there's, a, there's a lot of waffle house loyalists out there but you my friend are, are maybe the top of that list but you're also fair i think you're a critic of the ones that deserve criticism and you're you're a, a proponent of those that really wow you what was today's experience like what, what did they do that uh, really brought it together i mean just i don't know it felt like a great waffle house I, it's just one of those things i don't know if i don't want to quantify or, or like really qualify what makes a waffle house good because it's like a anthony bourdain right like it's the experience it's just like it evokes something like why try to fully describe it and i'm not as poetic as bourdain um, so I'm not I, I don't know to, how many to Waffle House Bourdain, uh, you know. He, he's yeah. a fan of it. Um, okay. Yeah, I think like one of the things about a Waffle House is, and I was just Michael Ason, friend of the pod, as well as Hillman Banks Robinson. We were chatting because it's their local Waffle House by that side of the club we were talking about this morning. They're democratic, man. They don't give a shit who you are, the Waffle House, right? They don't care who you are. All that matters is you're there to dine at Waffle House, and they treat everybody as a, as an equal, right? If you come in with the right attitude, and you're going to get a bang up meal, it's like Chick Fil A. You're going, you know what you're going to get every time. Um, That's deep. With That's maybe a little deep. bit more color at the Waffle House, but yeah, yeah, a little bit more the, character. I, I love the Waffle House. I mean, it's just. I, could I know rave, you I could, do. I could rave about it all day. We should get a future sponsorship from the the, the friends oh, of Waffle House. They don't have um, to pay us money. Just just let us use the logo. <laughs> Uh, speaking of your match, so we got a great guest today. I, I'm here with two Kevins. Kevin Murphy's joining us from Hans Golf Design. Uh, I, I just someone that I know you and I will both, we could talk to hours for, but uh, post that, you go into this match, uh, New Club's last vice captain's match of the year in, in Atlanta. And uh, we always like unique formats, but this was one I had never heard of. So I just want you to share with the listener a little bit about what you boys are, are going to be doing today. Well, so what's your opinion on scrambles? Give, give, I can't give, stand them. I think yeah. they're terrible. I think they're the bane of competitive golf. I don't think they have a place in golf. I don't. I think yeah, a lot of people want scrambles stink. I think it's the uh, the mantra that likes to be thrown around, and, and and maybe at some level I agree with that. I don't hate them as much as other people do because right crowd like yeah, I, I, there's them. a place like, in time. Amongst, I, feel like, amongst, I feel like people yeah. that say that they stink, it's because they're playing with the wrong people. Um, Could be, but. Yeah, this is cool. T-Flip Challenge. I don't know who's the original creator of this, but it's pure chaos. And any, I mean, every, anybody 
most people know both you and I want chaos, right? We want chaos in golf. We want a ground game. We want that ball to roll 70 yards over, you know, different mounding and just wondered what's going to do. Well, it's not quite that, but it is chaos in that you, after you and your partner hit, you don't get to choose the best ball and you don't, or you don't choose the worst ball because there's worst ball scrambles too. Now you got to flip the tee, flip the tee and the tee, whoever the tee points at, that's what ball you have to take. So when, when uh, vice captain Teddy Brown, uh, put that into the description, I had to look it up. And the first thing that came up was a six man, uh, T-flip challenge. And so that I was like, okay, this is a little much. But when I thought about it for two people where there's one outcome or the other, I I start it started to click with me. And I was like, oh, that would be a fun match. There's gonna be a big swing here and there when that T goes a certain direction. Um, so I'm really excited for your guys' match today and to hear how it all pans out. Yeah, I think there's gonna be a lot of a lot of laughing, a lot of yelling, a lot of like heads down, cheering, high fiving. I think it's gonna be a roller coaster of emotions. My my typical my te- uh, typical even temperament running around. No, that's out the window. We ain't even gonna try that. We're just gonna roll with it today. Are you are you gonna have a, 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 a are you gonna test for any weighted tees or anything or any magnets that are at play? You know, check people's pockets for a magnetized tee, perhaps. Yeah, that's, you know, that's what I was, uh, we'll just keep Hillman Banks Robinson on the pod. I was texting him saying he needs to come up here and supervise this entire match and go through uh, official, he has to bring the official supplier box all, open it up, grab the official tees. Like, I think we need to make this legit because I look at those handicaps. We can't trust these guys. Speaking of the devil right here, come say hi, Teddy. They, um, t- Teddy and, and his team, I looked at it. There's a lot of strokes on team Brown. Hi, t- hi team Brown. A lot of strokes Brown. on team Brown. Today, and there's so. not many on team team uh professor team no no well that's great well uh any thank you for educating me on team flip challenge that was a new one to me anything else you can educate us with before we get to our guest today yeah we'll keep it short so so we can get to kevin um this one builds on one maybe back on the ashley mayo pod that you know we talked about goal go uh, goal approach by the way what's your do you have any goals right now you're working on matt anything that's this month where you know we're recording on september one this will be released later but yeah, this early is, in the month. What do we? What do we? Uh, what do we got for a goal this month? Oh, this month in the month of September. Um, I, I guess there's a lot of uh, completion dates I have for planning of 2024 that that are on my list. So, uh, you know, we got society fixtures that that need to have final details, pricing, all those things laid out. I got uh, tea times for August and into the fall and things. So it's it's really just kind of work related. I, I haven't really set. Other than get my butt back into the gym, uh, mm-hmm. I don't have I don't have any tournaments coming up on the golf side to, to really kind of get ready for. I don't have I'm lacking goals, Kevin. I'm lacking other higher higher level goals, I should say. Yeah, um, and it's easy to procrastinate that stuff, right? You look at it, you're like I don't want to do that. Even the gym, you might want to do, it, but you're like ah, just I don't want to do those little small work things. I want to do something creative or something bigger, so it's easy to put off. Um, and earlier at the Ashley Mayo uh, pod, I mentioned like, well, just imagine yourself saying that tomorrow and then you're just going to keep saying it, right? And that should frustrate you. Well, expand on yourself. You said, imagine yourself in a year saying the exact same thing. And how does that make you feel? Yeah. And so to expand on that in terms of some of the research beyond it, which I've been looking at because I'm part of some fellows program at UGA, the mechanism behind that actually is your brain thinks of your future self no different than it thinks of an other person or a stranger. So that's how your brain conceptualizes your future self. So just like I would see you and think about you, that's how my brain thinks about my future self. 
And so that's why it's so hard for us to do something in the here and now because our brain only sees here, the here and now person. That person is fundamentally different to the brain than the future self person. Um, so one of the keys to do, you have to try to really evoke emotion relative to your future self when you're setting goals. So in your case, think of yourself at the end of this month. If you get to the gym just two or three days, like when we're done with this pod, think of how you're going to feel. If you do that two to three days a week, how you're going to feel about yourself and reaching that goal and evoke that emotion in you today, right? It should give you excitement and mm. pleasure and wow, I did it and satisfaction. Then hold on to that, right? That should help you when it's time to go to the gym, try to evoke that again, because that'll get you in the car to go to the gym. Mm. So if that's not working, evoke the negative emotion. Really, really sit there and concentrate hard at the frustration and truly evoke frustration, not just imagine, oh, I'll be frustrated. Evoke that frustration. Try to like evoke the future self attitude and see if that pushes you to take action, right? So try to evoke either the positive and negative emotion. I truly mean evoke, make you feel it. Not just think, oh, I would feel this way. Actually try to get your gut moving, right? The nerves, anxiety, the excitement, the anxiety with uh, frustration or excitement. Try to get that, try to get that going in your gut and yeah. see if that, see if that works for you. That's interesting. That's a way to combat the the push off of it or the procrastination because you, you will feel that eventually one of the two right you will feel it eventually mm-hmm. so just try to really put yourself in that future state and uh i like that i like that yeah it'll also help just i i my kids now have a gym there's it well there's a gym at the daycare and that's where i work out so oh, it's like as beautiful. long as they are on schedule and the school's been closed last week so i was like as long as they're on the schedule i can be on the schedule it's not hard it's not hard for me but uh, thank you, Kit. Thank you, Professor. Very motivating this morning. I, I'm I'm all in on that. All right, should we get to this uh, special guest here this morning? Yeah, let's let's geek right, out let's... on some golf course stuff. Sounds good. Kevin Murphy, welcome to the backdrop. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Kevin, it's uh, we were introduced through some of our Scot- Scottish friends who. I guess when you live in the home of golf, you connect to pretty much everyone in the game of golf at some point, you know, mm-hmm. when, you th- when you think about it. Um, but, uh, but where do we find you this morning? <clears throat> I am in Worcester, Massachusetts at Worcester Country Club. I'm glad you pronounced it because I, I wasn't going to be the, the bozo who said Worcester, right? Worcester. Yeah. Uh, nope. are you, you're, from, you're from Massachusetts originally? I am, yeah. I actually grew up like not 40 minutes from here. So it's, it's pretty wild having grown up kind of driving by, peering over the fence, and now here I am, you know, trying to rebuild the place and restore it a little bit. It's great. I mean, you've, you've worked at courses all around the world, and we'll get to a lot of your, your <clears throat> projects and work with, you know, Gil and the team. But mm-hmm. uh, in, in this area, was this a course growing up you were well aware of? And, you know, did you ever think someday you'd be expanding some greens and, and redoing some bunkers for them? <laughs> no chance, no chance. Um, yeah, well aware of it. Um, I grew up playing a, a small public nine-hole course, um, and this was never even on my on my radar. Honestly, golf architecture was never on my radar. I didn't even know it was a thing until after I went to school for landscape architecture, and then I kind of just fell into it after that. So it's it's been a wild kind of a ride. A lot of a lot of right place, right time, meeting the right people. Um, but I have an absolute dream job. There's no doubt about it. Um, and I kind of just found myself in it through a lot of hard work. There's no doubt, but, um, but yeah, that's no, never, never imagined 
working on the stuff that I do now. No chance. Was it the, the, the uh, so like a lot of people just have the golf bug that, you know, collides with landscape architecture and that's where they, for, for you did, how big was that? Or, you know, you said you didn't discover it till after landscape architecture or, or knowing that it was a career. What was it that, that hooked you? Um, well, I knew, so obviously I went to school for landscape architecture. I wanted to do something outside. I always had outdoor jobs. Um, and then I graduated, um, I went to UMass Amherst and I graduated in 2010, which is just after everything kind of crashed. And one of the first things that goes out the window is, you know, your landscaping budget, right? If you got to save money. So there were no jobs. So coming out of school, the best job I could get, which was arguably the best thing I've ever done was taking a maintenance job at TPC Boston. Um, interviewing there with Tom Broder, uh, the superintendent back then, he's since retired. Um, he actually sat me down in the interview and was like, this isn't what you want to do. So why are you here? Basically, how do we help you get something better? All that. So, wow. which is incredible. I mean, who's, yeah. who's going to interview someone to help come on board, but then push them away, you know, soon later, soon after that. Um, so I owe a lot of where I am to him. Um, but I, I worked maintenance for him for a while. Did that's, that was back when they had the FedEx cup. So I did, um, one season with them there. And then I remember it distinctly. I was watering the 11th tee. Um, and he pulled up behind me and he was like, you don't work for me anymore. And in my head, I'm like, oh shit, did I, did I, <laughs> what did I not do this morning? Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. And he was like, no, I got you a job with a construction company which is the next logical step, right? You figure out how to maintain it, you figure out how to build it, and then all that. So, and funny enough, I actually, the job with the construction company he got me is the construction company that's doing the work here at Worcester now. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so um, the guy that I'm directing here used to be my old boss, so that's a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I worked for, uh, for Matt Staffieri at MAS Construction. Um, it was a really small company back then. It was only three of us. And he's grown it into a pretty solid company um, nowadays. I worked for him for three years. And then, um, I mean, I knew I was, I knew I was into it. I love the game. I mean, it's the work that we do. It's so gratifying. You know, we're, we're very hands-on. Um, so you're out there, you're literally in the dirt, you're creating stuff, um, both your hands, mostly with shovels, with machines, all that. Um, so that was, that was addicting right off the bat. Um, worked for him for three years. And I had, I always had that design background and that's kind of the way I wanted to go. So I got to a point where I was just, I was sick of digging ditches and being, you know, no, nothing wrong with it, but being, you know, knee deep in mud in March, you know, it was not, not for me. So I kind of asked Gil and his partner, Jim, um, at the end of the first half of our project at the Vineyard Club on Martha's Vineyard, I basically asked for the job that I have now and they said no. And I was like, all right, well, that's fine. Uh, but I just was kind of over it. So I was like, all right, well, maybe this is the end of the road in golf for me. I didn't really explore any other architects. I don't know why um, in hindsight. But um, so I just left golf. I quit. <laughs> I moved to, I packed everything up. I had moved home after school. So I packed everything up and I moved to New York City. Um, and I got a job at a landscape architecture firm in Manhattan. Um, and I was doing great. I was, I was loving it. I was designing green roofs. And I was in all these incredible places that the general public don't even know exist. You know, it's, there's high rise, you know, patios and stuff. It was incredible. We were 
craning full-size trees up onto the roofs of buildings like you just don't you don't see that stuff um and then about three months into the work jim wagner called me back and said you still want that job you asked me about six months ago and i said hell yes i think i used a different word actually <clears throat> um yeah so that's kind of that's kind of the end of it and I, the way we work i was able to stay in new york which is where i live now um and we just kind of travel. We all have our own kind of home offices and it's been, it's a great kind of crazy lifestyle, but it works and it's a lot of fun. So was that, was that decision to go back to golf a no brainer when they gave you the call or was it like, Hey, I need to think about this for a few minutes or like once well, they said was, it, you're like, I'm back. Even though you were loving the landscape stuff in New York, you're like, as soon as they said it, you're like, ah, I'm out. Let's go. We're going back. To golf. I was, I was mostly there. Yeah. There were a few, um, conditions, I guess I'll say that I had, like, I didn't want to leave New York. I had just moved there. Um, you know, the company Gil and Jim at the time lived in Philly. I like Philly, but I don't want to live there. Um, so I was like, yeah, well, if I'm going to have to move to Philly or if I'm going to have to do, you know, I didn't know there was all these things. I didn't know how it was going to work. But when I took that call, after I got off, I remember walking home, there was some sort of a train delay. So I had like a 45 minute walk and that's when he happened to call me. And I remember thinking the rest of that walk, I was like, I have to do this. I can't. I can't say no, I'll do whatever it takes, you know? So I was, I was in, but I was hoping it would work out. I was hoping it would work out exactly the way it did. <laughs> and, yeah. and here I am. So and what, what year was that that you joined? That was in, uh, 2013. Actually this August is 10 years for me with Hans Golf. Wow. Wow. Very yeah. Congrats. That's uh, yeah, a, a lot of projects in those 10 years. It I sure mean, is. Absolutely. Prolific. Yeah. Uh, work <laughs> yeah. from, from then until now that's yeah. that's pretty wild mm -hmm. to for those that so, you know design associates i mean i think uh the 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 golf course architect has become quite a celebrity right and gill mm -hmm. is is definitely the top of that list but i don't i don't know if uh many of our listeners and myself included would fully know what the design associates role is within a firm um so could you tell us kind of like what your day-to-day -day looks like and and you know, how, 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 how it all goes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the way we work is probably a lot different maybe similar to some others that do kind of the design build thing, but I know that Gil and Jim have kind of formulated this recipe that, that kind of works. So the way we approach things might be a little bit different than most, but, um, I wear many hats, <laughs> um, which is great. It kind of keeps every day kind of new and <clears throat> excuse me, um, fresh and exciting. Um, so if there's a day home in the office, it could be kind of drawing up plans. It could be producing a budget for a future project. Um, if it's, it could be an entire day of travel to get to a project and then kind of managing on site, any given point in the project, it's, it's some sort of planning, um, organizing, coordinating. Um, if it's the very beginning, you know, we're probably planning out tree clearing or, you know, routing or, you know, where we're going to stockpile materials or something like that. In the middle of the project, we're figuring out what we're doing here, where we're going to go next, how that's all going to work. Um, it's a lot, but it's fun. It's, it's kind of all over the place, but it's organized, organized chaos. And I'm, I can't imagine what Gil's schedule is like. I mean, I know how busy I am, but he's on another level. So they, he and Jim as well, they're both they're both absolute masters at this and I'm just kind of following along and learning everything I can, you know, when I can. And there, there are other design associates or one I know of, right? Ben, is it Ben Hillard? Yep. Ben Hillard. Uh, yep. 
Do you guys work together on the same projects? Do you guys take different tasks? Do you guys sometimes meet up, sometimes not? I'm always, I'm just curious if there's much overlap or is it more, I got this handful of projects and you got, you got those. Yeah. So that's a perfect question actually for right now, because for the first time in quite a few years, Ben and I are actually mostly tackling here at Worcester. So I'm here more often than not. Um, and Ben's doing, Ben's got other, he's got his own things that he's doing, but he'll pop up and he's doing a lot of the shaping for us. So, um, it's neat. We've been kind of, kind of diving into this together. I mean, we've, we've worked on projects together. He started kind of on the construction side of us and then hopped over to the design side. So we'd worked together a lot and on numerous projects over the years, but for the last couple, he's kind of been taking his family and parking it at one, one of our new builds or something like that. And kind of that, like, we just built a course in Nashville. I haven't even been there. So, um, it's, you know, kind of working like that. We, I just did Lake Merced and Olympic club out in San Francisco. He hasn't yeah. been there. So, you know, we, we've kind of divide and conquer, but this time we're, we're coming together, which is really cool. It's a lot of fun. You know, you've had your hands in so many, so many projects and in so many different ways. So this might have a long answer, but is there like a favorite part of a project or where are you, when are you happiest within like the journey of a golf course build, redesign, restoration, like, you know, when you just really feel like you're, you know, a pig rolling around in mud? Um, it happened last night, actually. And it happens, I mean, it happens more often than not. It's, it's the, it's the moment at the end of the day, that golden hour time, right? I mean, especially now in September or October, August in Massachusetts, it doesn't get much prettier than that, but um, stepping back and looking at what you did, you know, looking at like the new bunker that you just cut into that fairway and the shadow kind of casting across it. And it's just, it's awesome. You know, it's such a cool, it's a gratifying feeling of, look, we actually did this. We accomplished it. It's there, you know? Um, and that happens, that happens everywhere. The, the camaraderie about it, about each project is really fun. The kind of the different groups that we get set on some, um, you know, a lot of our, a lot of our cavemen, I don't know if you're familiar with them. It's kind of our, our branch of our branch of shapers that, you know, yeah. we bring around uh, to all of our projects. <clears throat> They're all individual characters in their own right. Um, but any sort of combination of group that we get together for them on a particular project is always fun, you know, picking everybody's brain because they're all incredibly talented. They've all been around the world. They all know more, sometimes more than I do about certain things and architects and stuff. So picking their brain to kind of come together and figure out what we want to do, whether it's a new build, full creative blank slate, or, you know, a restoration renovation, kind of like we're doing here where we're trying to, you know, figure out what was, what works, you know, what didn't, all that sort of stuff. I think it's, it's a combination of those two, the, the, the gratification of the work is you can physically see what you did um, in, in conjunction with, you know, working with, you know, friends, basically it's, it's pretty neat. Not a, not a question, but a profound thought, Professor. I know you got a follow-up. I just, uh, when you talked about that golden hour turning around, looking at what you just did, in a, in a smaller way, I think golfers always feel that way after conquest of one of playing any course. But one of your courses, you know, you get done you're having that drink after a round and you look back, like that's my favorite moment of, yeah, I carried that bunker or yeah, I made that 12 footer down that slope, you know, and you kind of driving home, kind of think of it. That's kind of, there's a parallel there. I just wanted to, to highlight. Absolutely. And sometimes we'll take the parallel further. Sometimes our kind of look back includes a beer as well, not on the golf course. <laughs> that's, that's fun too. 
Well deserved. Do you, not to not to make you you know choose a favorite kid, but do you have any any of those golden hour moments that remain with you? Like you, where you look back and you know that was one of your favorite moments. It still comes to memory, or like you're like, wow, actually, I didn't know that's what we created, right? Like something stood out that you didn't expect to be in the ground when you're actually you know right there doing the work. I mean, there's there's ones on every project, and there's always something that you know you get excited about everything that we're about to take on. But mm-hmm. once you know, we'll we'll come up with a plan um, for the work. This is mostly towards restoration work, but we'll we'll walk the course and come up with the changes we want to do. But we're not really analyzing like too deeply what we want to do until we really get into the ground and find you know what we kind of want to do and how slopes are going to work and. You know, we're usually there in the middle of the day, so we're not seeing those shadows and stuff like that. So, um, I mean, like you said, to choose a favorite kid. I mean, it, one of my favorite projects, and again, it goes back to that camaraderie, teamwork, kind of figuring out stuff, working, you know, 14 hours a day just because it was fun, was our course at Streamsong, the black course. Yeah. Um, kind of the a combination of creating landforms and using um, existing ones to kind of carve things out was just it was really eye-opening for me. That was, when was that? 16, I believe. So I was still, I was still pretty green back then. Um, I spent a fair bit of time down there and that was almost all of our current cavemen spent some sort of a, a time down there. So people were coming and going. We had a group of at least five that were there almost consistently, um, which was really fun. But I mean, that to, to answer your question, that that happens on every project. You know, we just had I just had a moment yesterday on the on the 10th hole here at Worcester. And I was just like, look, look at this, you know, in the shadows that, you know, we've restored a couple of ridges on the left and right of a, it's a short par three um, that you couldn't really see before. And just expanding the green out a couple of feet on each side and embellishing those ridges a little bit. I mean, it's it's awesome. And I want I want every armchair architect to take note of like how profound that response is like. Cause all like Matt and I all the time, you're playing a course out. Oh, why don't we put a bunker over there? Why is this bunker here? But like how much of that art actually exists in the work itself. So just mm-hmm. sitting there and like saying, Oh, we want to do this, you know, on a sheet of paper, you know, whatever that is 20% of the work, but no, when you're actually in the trenches, that's when the magic happens. And I think all of us that love that art critique and think about building our own courses should, should um, plant that in the back of their brain of just how much that's why you are the experts and why you are awesome at what you do, because you can be in the dirt. And just make that magic happen. That's, yeah, and that's, that's, that's great. To Gil and Jim's success and in, in the in the company that they've built and everything, because they pro, they provide themselves that flexibility, right? We don't want to be we don't want to be hamstrung to this plan that you know says this bunker has to go here and it has to be this shape. Well, when we get in the field, it might not fit, or or we just ran into a ledge in the middle of the 15 fairway. Well, that bunker can't go there, you know. So we have to, and we're not going to rent a rock hammer and drill that out. We don't want to do that. We just we're just not going to do it or we'll shift it or something like that. Um, and then with, you know, that's how that's kind of the mentality of a renovation, but with a new build, you don't know, you don't know what you're going to create. You kind of know you want the tee to the hole to start here and the green's going to sit up on this little hole, but, or a hill, but what happens, you know, between there, maybe you have a bunker complex kind of planned out, but how it comes together and which shaper does it. I mean, there's so many, so many variants in there and and then maybe you make the decision to move the green 50 yards back because and play over that hill instead you know there's that flexibility is what makes it fun you know and that's that looking back at the end and saying oh we made that change that's that's what's really cool and um it's just constantly fun there's so many specific projects kevin we could ask you about um you brought up a couple that were on my list uh the black horse at stream song 
Uh, did you guys have your celebratory beers before shaping the greens? Because there's some that got a little outrageous for me. Uh, I had, and, and no, in sincerity, I, I played all the courses there with a group of new club members. And um, the black horse was, you know, everyone throws around favorites and and uh, yeah. things that I, I had the most fun. And I, I had a great time. I had four, four putts. I'm not kidding. Two of them, I drove the green and ended up walking away with bogeys. And I, when I was laughing, I was just like, man, I really, really misread that 30 footer across those slopes. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but like, is, is I, when you say it's fun to, to, you, you recall that project as fun. I, I recall it as fun to play. What, what elements of it, is it because there was so much creativity in that golf course as, as a new construction, like, uh, that, that there, there were some risks taken, I would say there, you know, with the size of the greens and, uh, and, and the movement to them, does, is that more fun for you guys in your job or am I misinterpreting it? No, no, you got it. I mean, first, the, the fact that you had fun, that's like the best compliment we could receive. So thank you. Um, I'm glad to hear it. But that, that large green concept, that kind of developed afterwards. Um, the, the greens, I don't know if you could see them, but they're still dotted, the original greens that we kind of had. And that's how they, you know, they still have, you know, GIR and stuff like that. And that's how they determine those sort of stats and everything. But kind of blowing those out and maintaining the approaches at the same height. That was kind of a, of a maintenance decision that kind of evolved afterwards. That wasn't part of the original design intent. I mean, we're, we were kind of on board with being able to play over those landforms and, you know, kind of get back to that more ground game aspect. Um, but there's definitely been controversial feedback about, about that. But part of what we were, we were tasked to do is do something different than the other two that they have. So, you know, when that concept came out, we were like, oh, we'll, we'll give it a shot. I mean, worst case, you just, convert it back and, you know, we'll, we'll get it back to the original edges and, um, and maybe that'll happen someday. But the, the other one I, I'll, I'll throw in, uh, was a vineyard golf club, which was cool to hear you, you bring up, uh, as, as a great memory I've been, uh, and I believe we're going to have the, uh, superintendent on our podcast because one area that I, like many golfers, I think I've had a growing interest in just sustainability. You know, you read any headline in our, our world, it's all about, you know, our environment and what we're doing. And so golf has an opportunity to be a leader in that. I think, uh, I think for architecture firms like yours are, are being a leader in that. And I've, I've read a number of things on, I remember the Olympic project for Gill in 2016 and what that, I, I remember learning a lot about, about sustainability through, through that project myself, because it was so, uh, in the, in the news all the time or the golf mm -hmm. news because it's the Olympics. But I, my, my question, I guess is, you know, for you, what, um, what are some notable sustainability, uh, achievements that you guys have done in, in your project. I know Vineyard is, is some say the most eco-friendly golf course on the planet, but what, 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 what for you has that been, you know, are there some, some, some key moments where you're like, wow, this is when it comes to sustainability, we're doing this different. This is a little different and, and stuff you're, you're proud of in that category. Yeah. I mean, I think you kind of, you, you probably took it with, for me personally, it would be the Vineyard golf club one, the Rio project I wasn't necessarily involved in, but I know there were, there were many at, uh, facets of that part that were um, pushed that way, trying to incorporate those sorts of things in. But the Vineyard Golf Club is hands down, um, you know, that the most eco-friendly, um, you know, from their lack of pesticide use to, I mean, irrigation systems are just more improving more and more. So that's, that's a consistent, um, you know, 
system that we can incorporate across every project, right? And being able to dial in water and use less. And obviously, you know, there's hybrids of grass that are growing that are more drought tolerant. There's, you know, there's a, there's a number of things that you can apply in, a, in various ways. Um, but for me personally, the Vineyard Club is hands down. Like you said, it, may, it might be in the world. So um, it certainly is for me. So what, what from your, when you approach that place versus another, what, what, what changes, I guess, is it just, is it just the grass tolerance? Is it just the water use? Is it, but do, do you have to do your job differently? I don't think we do. That's a good question. I should ask Gil that. I don't know, or in Gil and Jim, I don't know if they approached it any different. I think it is, might mostly be expectations from the management or the, from the members, because there are, there are little things of crabgrass out there, but you know, who cares, <laughs> you know, so that, that sort of stuff. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's probably mostly what it is. I don't know if we, if we do our, our job any differently, it didn't feel any different at the time. I mean, it was still at that point, again, it was a construction project, um, that I was a part of everything was built similarly to the way we do now. Um, we were very conscious of, of, um, I guess that's not true. We were all of the, the, um, the runoff was collected in, in like rubber sleeves and directed to certain places. So we weren't leaching much into the ground. Um, that was, I've, haven't thought about that since then. I put that out of my mind because that was, that's something to work with. But, um, but yeah, so that would, that would be a great, a great instance where the, you know, there's water collection, there's, you know, lack of chemicals, there's all that, but that didn't really change the, the design to answer that question. I don't believe. Yeah. It's, it's, it's something that I, I've, the more I've, I've started to learn just the reduction of the inputs, the, uh, you know, control on, on costs, bringing down some costs in, mm-hmm. It, you know, I'm very moved by the old game, the ground game in, in Scotland and Ireland. And you look at just, well, their maintenance budgets are way less, you know, and, and so right. maybe, maybe that's a factor why they have such a healthy golf ecosystem is it's, it's more accessible for more people. And I, I think, I, I think there's something there, you know, being taught, I think the crabgrass example, right? If you're, if you're okay yep. with that, that could maybe save some dollars and allow for uh, the membership to, you know, include more, more people or be a bit more, uh, uh, open and, and yeah, it's, it's just fascinating to me. It's something that I, I, I'm going to push myself to learn more and more about, but which is why we want the super of vineyard to, to come chat with us. I was going to say, and that's not a knock on him. If he comes on and he starts cursing me out for saying there might be some <laughs> progress out there. That's not, that's not Oh no, no, no. I believe me. People <laughs> yeah. will, it'll be no, clear. He, the, the things that he's done is, is pretty remarkable. And that, I agree. yeah. Yep. Kevin, the, that's, turn our attention to your golf game what's your relationship with golf in terms of playing it oh boy um i wish it was i wish it was happened more often but i like to say that i don't play very often but when i do i play in incredible places so it kind of balances it out um i can i can get away with that but um i played it like a 10 i'm nothing nothing special i was maybe you know a little bit lower than that in my prime um if i play this these days, if I play a dozen times a year, I'm doing pretty well, which is way less than I'd like, but that's okay. Um, yeah, like I said earlier, I grew up playing a, a little nine hole course with my dad. Um, started when I was about maybe 10 or 12 and just kind of, I knew it was going to be a, a game for life. I always loved it. Um, and yeah, the, some of my fondest memories are going over there and playing three holes after dinner or something they had. It was actually cool. I'm sure it was totally unintentional, but it's what courses are trying to do now with like 
multiple loops. So there was a perfect three-hole loop, there was a perfect five-hole loop, there was a perfect seven-hole loop, and then there was nine. But that was just totally by chance. But it worked out really well, and we'd take advantage of it based on how much daylight we had or the weather or anything like that. It was it was awesome. Now, when you so you get to play special places. When you're playing, are you just in pure, you like to use the word fun a lot, right? So are you just enjoying it and having fun? Or do you find yourself studying sort of the course and trying to learn from it in terms of your own craft? The It's both. It's both. I'm trying to enjoy it. The The first time I get to any of these places, maybe even the second time I get to somewhere special, then it, I just my golf game's just a disaster because I'm just trying to take it all in. I'm trying to play golf, but then I get frustrated because I'm not concentrating on the golf. But it's mostly just trying to take everything in and figure out, you know, what happened and why this place is so special. And, you know, thinking of, Oh, I can't wait till I get to that hole. I got to be sure to look at, you know, over here and look at it from this angle and all that stuff. Um, that definitely happens. So if I can get a repeat visit, then maybe more of the fun creeps in. Um, but it's definitely, I'm trying to take what I can while I'm there for those you know, few short hours, you know, is there, I, I'm always curious about this with, um, because because now I, I work in golf full time and it's what one challenge is you're around all these beautiful golf courses and, and just any golfer, it's going to be innate that you want to hit a shot. You, you know, you want to mm-hmm. get out there. Have you found ways to take that energy <laughs> is it, do, and put it elsewhere just by being at, at, at the courses? I mean, do you get that same kind of satisfaction from just doing your, your work or do you like to watch a lot of golf or do you need to go beat a hundred balls to get it out of your system? Like, is there, I always wonder how people deal with it. It seems like everyone deals with it slightly differently. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly get my fill from being on a golf course day in and day out, um, and kind of analyzing it a little bit differently, but yeah, you can't really compare to going out and playing right. And hitting the shots that you're anticipating people hitting when you're building stuff, right? Like you want to go and try that and occasionally we'll do it in the dirt, but that doesn't really work because it's dirt and the ball doesn't roll. But, um, yeah, now you gotta, there's no, there's no cure for golf aside from playing golf. I don't think, I mean, you get that, you get that bug in you. I mean, like think about when you come out of winter and the masters are on and you're, there's still snow on the ground. You know what? You're going to go crazy, right? Like you just want to get out and play and, and get it. I don't, for me personally, I haven't found it. Um, you know, maybe it's a drink or something, but I haven't, uh, yeah, I think I think it's, it's it's similar to what the professor said about the goal setting at the top of the hour is you just got to go, you got to visualize yourself doing it and you got to get it out of the system. I I think that's a very true statement that you mm-hmm. need to play. Yeah, I definitely agree. I would I was finding back in when I was living in New York, it's not very easy. Not when I was living, I am living in New York, but. Um, it's not easy to play golf. You know, it's not like there's a course five minutes down the road and the couple that are really close are slammed and, you know, crowded and all that. So I used to, there's like alternate side parking for street cleaning. So back, um, a few years ago before the driving range that I used to go to closed, I would park my car deliberately on the side where I had to get up at seven in the morning to move it. And that would force me, the street cleaning was about an hour and a half. So it would force me to get up, which, I could sleep till whenever if I don't have anything to do. So that would force me to get up and I'd go to the range for an hour just for the fun. And I'd come back and be home by eight and put my car on the right side of the road or back where it was. And there we go. So that was fun. That's great. Yeah. Are there, you you mentioned the course you grew up on with the small uh, loops, three hole loop, five hole loop. There's um, uh, a place near and dear to this show. Actually, Canal Shores is, is, has always kind of been that way, but they've just, um, 
enhance that with Todd Quintino doing doing the work and uh, so it's like small course loops or uh, I think about I don't know Ohoopy's coming to mind with a a match play specific golf course like you know special intentions or or, or unique uh, creative projects in the game of golf I think there's a number of them is there any that you would love to work on that either have come across the desk, you don't have to name names, but uh, mm. of any future projects, but is there uh, a, a creative way to approach golf that, that gets you excited to maybe explore as a, as a designer? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're fortunate to work with a lot of uh, very successful owners who kind of want to do something like that. I think, I think a is a great model moving forward for the flexibility that golf can have. Um, it doesn't have to, doesn't have to be a slog. <laughs> doesn't have to beat you up, you know? Um, and I think that'll, that's just going to help, help the game so much if you can get in and, you know, you can play in a pair of jeans and, you know, I don't know there, you, we can go, we can go on and on about the way golf can go and should go. And I think it is going. Um, but yeah, we have, we have some projects coming up that there's going to be, they, they want that creative, you know, something a little bit different, or at least the flexibility to be a little different, right? You're still going to have your, your 18 hole championship course, but what's to say you can't have a 12 hole tournament, you know, once a year or something like that. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of different ways we can go and there's the creativity is endless, you know, based on the piece of ground that you have and the the mentality that the, the resort or the place or the owner wants to, wants to carry through it. Um, I think it's exciting to think about the ways we can, try to do something new kind of on kind of keep pushing the envelope uh moving forward now are you what when you finish up a project are you one that want to run and play it as soon as possible and and, you know you make sure to check off the box every time i definitely like to yeah absolutely um we have uh the olympic club is reopening soon going back out there uh later in september so i'm looking forward to that um What's yeah. that? What's that experience like for you when you play? You know, the project you just finished up. Are you just relaxed, or are you like, man, we messed that up. We need to touch that up. Where, where's your mind at? For, dude, just the first play. Where's your mind at? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I it's, my goal is to be fun, but it's really hard to not, you know, nitpick. Um, but I mean, it's it's very easy to look at the grand scheme of things and like where things were at one point, where they were before we started, and you know where they are now. Um, but we always claim to never be perfect. So if something's not exactly right, you know, we say to for a course to play on it for a year or two. I mean, if it's really dramatically wrong, then we'll come in and fix it. But um, more often than not, anytime we come in and make these changes, it's a whole. It's essentially a brand new golf course. It might be the same routing, but there's things to there's things to adapt to. You know, you're going to play holes differently because you know the green's different now, or there's a new pin or something like that. So um, from a from a construction standpoint and like a product quality standpoint, I mean, those things kind of always, you know, glare and show and like, oh, maybe we need to tweak that grassing line. That's a little weird, but the goal is to just, you know, enjoy it with everybody else who finally has their golf course back or, or finally opened, you know, grand opening like that. And that's, that's easy to get lost in that. Yeah. I think to this day in my world is writing articles. And to this day, I've never read one of my finished articles that's been published. I just, because of the like, I know. How, how do you know if they're any good, professor? That's that's they're not good. That's why I don't read them because I'm going to read them in every pair of like, what am I trying to say here? Wait, why did I say it like this? Like this needs change, but you know, obviously we don't have the we don't have the luxury of being able to get back in the dirt and you know tweak the things and make those changes. Uh, but I get that. Like we, it's it's. I love what you said there. It's easy to lose sight 
of where things were from the beginning to where they got to and all that work and energy and how much you did create. It's so easy just to pick those little finer details and be like, ah, it's not a successful project because we messed that little thing up. It's like, no, you did, you did so much good beyond those little nitpick things. Mm -hmm. Kevin, was there ever a time though, when you walked off and said, all right, that's got to change. And you immediately got the dozer back out. Is there ever one that comes to mind of like this, this <laughs> one mistake was so egregious that we spent our own money to go back and change it? No, nothing too crazy. Um, there might be, there might've been a, nothing like a dozer, like, oh, we got to just totally redo this. And not, a, not to my memory. I mean, um, some of the other guys might have a, might have a memory, but I don't think so. I mean, we put, put a lot of time and energy and, and care into making sure things are going to play at least, you know, at least very close to the way they should. And it, it would be a minor tweak. You know, we've, we've kind of come in and softened some green contours or something like that if it's a little bit quick um, afterwards. But part of it is letting it grow and mature. So even, even once a course opens, it's still, it's not nearly, you know, the way it should be playing for more often than not, right? Because it's going to grow. The greens are sometimes hard as a rock and they just need to kind of get that um, organic level in them and just kind of start, you know, start playing basically the way they should. So we always like to give it time. Nothing too immediate to answer your question, Matt. Yeah, makes sense. And you guys wouldn't be winning all the projects you do if those were commonplace at all, which obviously they're, they're very much not. Um, and and I'm, I'm curious about that element of the business. I don't know how much you are involved on it, but the, uh, the bidding and the, the winning projects, uh, it's become a, I'd imagine a very competitive landscape and, uh, you guys continue to, to win, you know, some, some phenomenal, uh, clients over. And I, I'm just curious what goes into that. Is it, you know, uh, the, the, the knowledge and reputation you guys have, have garnered at, at, with, with Gil and Jim at the helm, or is, is it just your charisma and, and handsome good looks? What, what, what is it that, that kind of you, you think, you know, puts you guys over the top on, um, on so many keystone projects, I'd call them the, the, the <laughs> really big ones that, that get a lot of notoriety. It just seems like, you know, you, you guys are, are involved. Yeah. I mean, I'll, the majority of that question is way above my pay grade. So I can, I can speak to some of it, but, um, I mean, it really just stems from, from Gil and Jim and the system that they've built. Um, you know, there's a, there's a massive level of trust, you know, that they've, uh, created over the years. Cause that's what they have to, right. That's, that's the way we work going back to what I was saying before is we're going to come up with this concept, but we don't really know what it's going to be. So it's that, process, which is fun and engaging. You know, we want the owner to be involved. We want their input. So I think it's, you know, once you find the right property and the right owner and the right architect and, and the visions meld, then I think it, I think it kind of works and, and people continue to reach out to them. Um, Gil will say that he, he turns down a lot of stuff that comes his way. Um, and at this point he's, he's for, he, we are fortunate enough to be a little bit picky about what, um, what we work on. So, um, yeah, I mean, can't get too much more specific than that because they're mostly kind of in charge of kind of choosing what we do and where we go. But we're we're growing, we're getting more into that sort of stuff. And um, I mean, anything that they do, the, the first the first requirement is, can we do something great? Can we do something fun here? Um, and then, like I said, it goes down the line from a property to the owner and the vision of it. Um, so if you can check all those boxes and it happens to fit the schedule and then... You know, we're we're on board for it. 
I, I know it's a tough question to ask, you know, to talk about your bosses, but uh, you know, Gil Hans and Jim Wagner are household names in the golf world now, and and that's happened. You know, you've been with them a decade, and and it, a lot of that has happened in that time frame. Um, what do you what? Uh, I guess I'll ask you this way: What have you learned most from those two gentlemen? What What are the some of the, some of the big lessons that uh, that they've taught you through through uh, through this experience with them? That is a loaded question. Um, yeah, there's 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 quite a bit. I mean, both of them they're they're very different people. Um, their partnership works very well because of that. Um, they both can do everything and do do forms of everything, but the way they've kind of divided and conquered the the business that we have. Um, has worked very well for them. Um, and that helps kind of see who get, you kind of learn from both sides of them. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot from the, first we'll start with design. I mean, they're both wildly creative people. Um, Jim, maybe more the wild part of, of the, of the duo. Um, but they just, they just push everybody to, one of the, one of the great things about them is that they push everybody, including our cavemen, everybody to do what they want, right? They're, they're trying to push everybody similar to the, the interview that I had that got me into this whole thing back with Tom Broder at TBC Boston. Like, what do you want to do, right? We want everybody to be happy and, and gain the experience that you want and get to a point where you want to be at, um, which is incredible. And that might likely mean leaving, right? So again, it's, you know, potentially it's training someone using them now, but eventually knowing that they might go away. Um, I think, on both their parts, I mean, just learning how to handle people is one of the biggest thing. Um, from a from a project coordination standpoint, and Jim is just an absolute mastermind, um, getting into how things are going to work, and from a from a construction standpoint, all the way through to a, a personnel management. Um, from a from a project presentation standpoint, again, Jim's very capable, but Gil tends to handle all that and. Every presentation he gives, and I've told him this before, it's a, it's a masterclass. Watching him talk about, and he's done it, you know, hundreds of times by this point, but watching him be able to talk about, you know, any course at any given moment and someone stands up and asks a question about that one hole at that course and he's just like, oh, yeah, doesn't that play like this? And it's just like, I could, I'm never going to be like that. The memory that he has and the ability that he has to, um, to recall things um, is impressive. Um, and something you'd aspire to be. Um, but both of them as just human, as humans, as people, they're just incredible people to be around. And I think that kind of this all loops into the success that they've had is people actually want to be around them. You know, um, there's no, there's no yelling, there's no screaming. We try to have fun in everything that we do. Um, and I think at the end of the day, we're building a game, right? So, you know, we're, we're all very aware of what we're actually doing and, and trying to have fun doing it. Um, but I can't, I mean, I could go on and on about what they've taught me over the years. And I mean, every project's different, you know, um, fortunately for me year by year, I mean, I could probably go back and track. I mean, I have a notebook of basically everything that I do. I just make a list. It's a little quick thing like, uh, you know, this month or this day, I just, oh, I did, you know, plans for ball to stroll or something like that, did the whole plans. Um, so I could go back and I could kind of track my progress and I can see that, you know, Seven years ago, the list for the month of May was this big. You know, five years ago, the month for May was this big. You know, um, and then it would, turns to two pages, kind of the different things that I took on. So, you know, pushing me along and kind of getting me more and more into the business and making me as kind of as knowledgeable as possible. Doing the same thing with Ben, um, 
just trying to get us involved and, and you, you learn just by doing it. Um, sometimes you mess up, but you know, the way we, the way we formulate our projects is a lot of flexibility. And if you mess up in the field, it's only dirt, you know, that sort of mentality of like, well, we're going to, we're going to do it. We can, we can work it out there incredible mentors. Um, they answer the phone whenever you call for the most part, unless they're on an airplane. Um, so very, very fortunate to be in the position I am. It's not, not lost on me. So new project comes in, across your table, starts off with the words restoration, renovation, or new build. What, where's your head out of those three? Like, which the, what's the one that's like, I mean, you can't say all of them because I'm sure that's the initial. Like, well, it's going to be fun no matter what. But if, the, if you had to choose one of the three, what's where, where's your head at? A preference, yeah. I mean, there's there's so many there's so many factors that go into it. But I mean, it probably a new build. I think I think you know the blank slate, creative something out of nothing or something out of you know really cool land is just it's it's awesome. But I don't I don't want to. I don't want to negate the the renovation or restoration work we do too, because it's just it's two totally different mentalities. You know, um, with the work we're doing here, I'm I'm super excited about. Um, yeah, I mean, if I had to pick, I think you know, building something new from scratch is is really cool. Yeah, it's. I imagine the creative aspect. I mean, there's that creative aspect, and on the other side, like the the restoration of like the study of the history, like is such a creative aspect too, in a, in a different way. Exactly. Yeah. Like I said, two totally different mindsets of, of go wild, do something fun over here versus, all right, I'll try to get into, you know, the mindset of for here where Donald Ross, what did, what did he do? Um, or what did his crew do? Um, you know, why, you know, the, how does this course differ from Aronimink or Oakland Hills or, you know, you kind of get into all that and we're studying old photos and aerials and we're digging around out here, finding the original bunker sand and exposing the original footprints of bunkers. We're fortunate. I was just talking to the superintendent this morning. We're fortunate that the bones are still here, which is cool. Nobody came in and bulldozed it. It's mm. been tweaked. It's been tweaked, which we're working with. But all the work that's happened to date is kind of allowing us to still do what we're doing. So um, it's just a different mentality of kind of getting in and kind of get that historical analyze analyzation type mentality and almost like archaeological, <laughs> to be honest. Um, it's really fun. It's just a totally different angle. That, that is where my head went was archaeology. <laughs> I mean, you're finding artifacts like a, a the bunker footprint. Very like basic question, but how do you know you found the bunker footprint? What is it when you're, do you got to get under, right? And once you get under, you just, is it, you found the sand? Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, when, when old bunkers got filled in, I mean, to, to dig anything back out was just a waste of time, right? Why put manpower or horsepower or maybe maybe some machine power into it when we can just throw dirt over it, right? So we're actually finding the old bunker sand in a lot of places. Um, nothing, not much has shifted here. A lot of stuff has been, not a lot of stuff, some things have been filled in. So it's just kind of exposing the dirt back off it. And Ben just did it in the 11 approach the other day. Um, we were trying to figure out, there's all this information about how that hole used to play. Um, and there's this note in their club history or centennial book, I believe, about this cross bunker and hills and mounds and all that stuff. And there's no pictures of it. So we're kind of we're shooting in the dark, but he just started digging through the approach. And there it is. There's a cross wow. bunker in the middle of it. So we're putting it back because that's what was there. Yeah, it's pretty neat. That's so cool. It's so like, cool. That is really cool. And how you guys have to be part historian, part uh, archaeologist. Is there... 
in that example, there was like no clues uh, above ground that would have alluded to that? There were, um, there were some less, like maybe there might've been dry spots at some point there where the turf was a little bit thinner, um, which might lead you to think that there might've been something underneath it. Um, but I say that now, but it was buried like two feet down. So you'd think that would be enough coverage to grow stuff. But there were like kind of little ripples and, and kind of valleys and stuff where we're like, oh, we could see something being in here. Um, and then you look at the old aerial, which we're looking at from 38 and there's kind of these, these, the bunkers had since been filled in, uh, before that, but there's kind of these, these shadows and highlights and stuff, which, you know, we, we get the contractor out here, Matt, my old boss gives us so much crap because we're analyzing this little photo and trying to pick out a shadow. And maybe that was a good slope. Maybe that was a bunker, you know, I don't know. And he's just like, can we just build this thing? Um, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, so we kind of we kind of get into it, and and, and that's where the exploratory kind of digging comes from. And fortunately, fortunately, it was there. <laughs> yeah, it's that it's it's that's a fascinating part of it to me is is what you guys do, and and particularly in this second golden age of of golf course architecture, I think we all it's no longer a theory. Like we're in it, man. The, this mm-hmm. the projects what crews like you guys are up to i mean it's there's so much great golf but we we default to golden age good or better and and then you kind of some some other ages as not so much um but even though the, the golden age is this like time period that really was sound strategic principles that we're bringing back, you guys still do have to make a decision of okay we found that cross bunker but is that still the right move, and I'm 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 thinking this is the the challenge of a restoration versus renovation, and where you meet in the middle. But how does that discussion kind of go? Where it's like, okay, Ross clearly intended for for this right here, but is that still the right move for us today? How how do you guys get down to that? Because I think a lot of us would just say, oh, Ross intended it; it's got to be good. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of that. Fortunately for here, there's nothing too controversial. The, the leadership here has been like, you guys do what you want. You guys do what you think is best. We trust you. Um, and they want it. They want it back the way it was. So this is definitely more that we call it a historic renovation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of a hybrid of the two. A restoration would be kind of putting it back exactly the way it was. Um, which maybe that's more what we're doing actually now that I say that because things are still kind of in the same place that they were before. Um, And then the renovation aspect comes into it where we get a little bit creative and we might add our own bunkers um, and kind of push strategy a little bit further or something like that. But um, yeah, that conversation happens a lot. And the biggest, the most prime example right now is at Oakmont. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know how familiar you are with the history of that, but there are about 200 iterations of that golf course because it just changed. Um, the original designers, the phones just, you know, they'd play around a golf and, and afterwards they'd say, oh, I want a bunker there, you know, and the, the aerials just changed yearly. Um, so going through that and trying to figure out what we want to put back was, you know, it was mind bending trying to, do we do this? Do we do that? Um, and ultimately, you know, we just kind of spin our wheels on it a little bit and say, you know, we really like this bunker complex. So let's work off of that. Right. And then if we do this one, we don't need to do everything on the right side. Maybe we get them a little reprieve over there or something like that. So it's kind of just working through all the different options and, and figuring out what we like best. And, and we do keep the keep the, the management of the club ownership or whoever might be involved and see. Um, you know, last thing we want to do is set anybody up for 
failure in any sort of way. Um, try to think of all calibers of golfer, how it's going to affect, you know, Oakmont's a different beast because it's U.S. Open venue as well. Um, thinking of how that stuff's going to play. But um, at a place like this, it's it's the new golfer or the or the less capable all the way through to, you know, the scratch. Um, but there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into it and it's fun. It's fun to kind of mix it up. And, and sometimes we'll say, Hey, you know what, let's put these back in cause they were here and we do it. And it's just like, nah, so we'll just fill it back in, but it's constant editing, constant conversation. Um, but yeah, it's great. So uh, I've heard a theme, you know, we've interviewed multiple people involved in golf course builds or the builders themselves, so ranging from management to the club owners, all the way to, to you boots in the ground and design. And one of the themes that I picked up on is like the top projects seem to be where like the management and the owners give a lot of freedom to the, the experts, to the designers, right? Is that something, you know, you all think about when you're thinking about what projects you're going to take on or maybe Gil and Jim when they're thinking about projects they're going to take on, like they're thinking actually about the membership and the owners and their sort of personalities and, and how they'll be think about managing a project. Is that a serious consideration? Yeah, certainly. I think I think that it's almost it's almost necessary just because of the way we work. Again, it goes back to the, the conceptual plans that we'll put together. But we need we need the flexibility in the field to kind of figure out what's best. And hopefully, you know, everybody's on the same page of putting back the best golf course possible. Um, you know, there's there's different. You know, the government of the club can be different. Here, we have a small leadership that's kind of just saying, you know, what's what's just you know work on do whatever we need to do that to make this as good as possible. Other clubs, if you change at all from the master plan, you may have to go back to a vote, right? And get approval for, if we want to put this bunker back that we didn't know was there when we originally came up with the plan, you know, you might have to get club-wide approval. So, you know, varying that up and working within those reins, I mean, I think it's it stems more from the golf course and what we can do, you know, how how much of an improvement we can make that's first and foremost. And then, but working hand in hand with the, with the management is necessary in order to kind of achieve that. So certainly. My, my last question for you, Kevin, is uh, related to music. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know your boss, Gil, is a well-documented deadhead. Yeah. Uh, so Grateful Dead would be playing in, in his headset most likely, it sounds like. Um, yep. <laughs> what about you? What, when, when you're out there, whether it be Shapin or, or is there a, a band that, that typically gets – you know, your vibes going, gets you in the right state of mind? It couldn't be further from the Grateful Dead. I'll say that. Um, but no, I mean, I listen to I listen to um, a variety of music. I'd say I have an eclectic music taste. Um, I wasn't big on music growing up, so I don't, I'm not like super into it. Um, but I listen to a lot of podcasts. It's That's, you know, listen to news, which is lame. Um, but I'm big into uh, hip hop, rap, like, yeah. Uh, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, you know, when I was growing up, I'll, I'll listen to that stuff all day, for sure. Who are your artists? Run down your, give us the, um, quick, the quick five, maybe. Yeah, what do you I mean, anybody, I mean, ugh. Jay-Z, you know, Eminem, anybody from the 90s, 2000s, you know, Biggie, um, Tupac. East, oh, East Coast, West know. Coast, which one you go? East Coast, West Coast, who are you picking? That's tough, I mean, Mike. Jeez, Kevin, you got, you I know, know, I don't know. We're past those days. Five. That was an ugly time. Oh, never pop. past those days. I'll <laughs> live on forever. I might have to go West if I had to pick, but I, I don't know. I might want to take that back, but. What about uh, the South? If we're talking early 2000s, Professor. Yeah. You're, you're, you're neck yeah. of the woods, Georgia. The most, the most transformational sound came out of the South, for sure. The East and West might have the lyrics and the beats, but transformational yeah. sound is that the South owns that. 
Agreed. It's South owns that in every in every music genre except for maybe Motown, the South owns transformation. Yeah, I I knew I figured you were going to touch on music and and figured um, we'd talk. I don't know if we'd touch on the golf music on a golf course, but the vibe out there is. I mean, a lot of my friends listen to country, which is all well and good, but I'd like a a tribe called Quest would be. that's always fun. Throw them on anytime. They're like a rhythmic. Yeah. Uh, uh, lyricists. And, and that is great for a golf course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's been, it's funny. We're all kind of of similar age group, I think. And, uh, hip hop, that might've been the golden age of, of hip hop, right. Or, or when it hit pop culture mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's been neat to see golf actually converging with it in a lot of ways. I think a lot of the NBA has a lot to do with that. Like they've had, you know, Steph Curry's tour and, and all these yeah. things, but you're seeing more hip hop artists get into, uh, get into the game of golf and th- that it, it's, it's pretty neat. It actually is a cool little, little, uh, emergence happening in golf right now, which I think is awesome. Definitely. Yeah. I have to mention the beastie boys too. I blanked on that uh-huh. and you threw out who's your favorite. Cause they're hands down my favorite, but yeah. Well played. Good choice. Yeah. Well, Kevin, we know you got to get back to work. Uh, thank you so much. Kevin Moore, the professor's got a match to go win and you got, uh, more to do at Worcester country club. So, uh, thanks so much for being here. This was really a treat for us. I think, um, you know, I, I, there was a lot of curiosities today that you helped scratch for me that I just wasn't really aware of in in your profession. And, um, it was nice having you with us. This was, it was really a lot of fun. Good. I appreciate it. Yeah. I had an absolute blast. It was great to meet you guys. All right, professor. Uh, we're going to get to our reflections on, Mr. Kevin Murphy, um, and but first, what, what's your warm up going to be for this T flip challenge? What do you got? Well, I haven't touched a golf club for I don't know eight days or something like that. So uh, I'm kind of excited just to go. I'm just going to go chip for probably half an hour just to like loosen up the muscles and stay loose and just feel face control and kind of get in golf mode again. I think that's the the whole purpose here. It's just, I mean, working on my swing that's not going to do anything. I haven't played in eight days. It's just going to just get yeah. in the right mindset to enjoy myself and be relaxed out there. And the golf game will click in by the fifth hole or so. That's that's what we're going with today. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Too many. T- I think too many of us get when we go to a warm up, we try to work on something. That's not the time yeah. to work on something, right? You're, that's, you're that's working warm on warming up. You're you yes. are trying to figure out where the club face is at and just get loose. It's like Nico and I say: do not practice before you play. Like that is not practice time. That is warm up time and do whatever you need to do to get in the right mindset. Cause if you're trying to practice and it's not going well. Guess what? You're going to the first tee with anxiety. That's not working out well. Question for you though. What, what's your opinion on alignment sticks before, uh, before a round? I don't know if I have a strong one. Like I don't have con- a con- a, uh, an opinion with conviction. I would hesitate away from it unless it is something that is actually part of your normal warm up routine, right? Like, just yeah. throw it in there to do it no but like if you do it every time you're warming up just to like double check your alignment and it's literally part of your routine i would be okay with that um yeah it's I, sort of I, like don't just I, do it as something new but do it if you're going to do it always do it i asked because i i think uh recently i had this where my alignment just got off as it does for everybody the best players in the world alignment gets off but i throw 
I can't let the alignment sticks be out for my last couple swings, if that makes yeah. sense. I need to start, which is tricky because you're also trying to get loose. So I, you need more time is, is probably the answer. I'm showing up with 15, 20 minutes, not you know 45 to an hour. But if I show up, the ideal situation for me would be get loose, throw the sticks down, check, just make sure alignment's on point for no more than, I don't know, six golf swings, seven golf swings, and then put the sticks back away and get in playing mode and start yeah. to, you know, conceptualize that actually hitting shots on the golf course. But uh, yeah, I, I found that like, man, if I, but if I stick with the alignment sticks until I'm ahead of the tee, then I'm not ready to play. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. relying on this thing to, to, you know, help me. That's not going to be out there when I'm, when I'm playing. Anyways, Perspective. just curious. Uh, Kevin, what a, what a guy that was really enjoyable for me. What would you think? Yeah, it's just always, I mean, Kevin's at the top of the craft, right. And works with people at the top of the craft. So just, just learning from them and hearing how it works with the boots in the ground and what they have to do and everything they have to think about to build a golf course. Right. This always gives me more and more appreciation having him, people like Rob. Uh, but honestly, the one thing that stuck out that's different than just anything golf course related was sort of mentorship and what good mentorship looks like you think of rewinding back to tpc boston the superintendent there and how that superintendent handled bringing kevin on and treating kevin i think that's an ideal uh, we we should all adopt in any mentorship roles we play especially as we as we get older and we do have to step in those roles like your goal is to advocate and push other people forward and that also means letting them go or pushing them away from you when you need to. So they move on to those bigger and better things and understanding what their ultimate goals are. Uh, the stories, the, the stories there and then how Gil and Jim treat them, um, in terms of the design associates is it's inspiring, honestly, in terms of how the, the think about me mentoring students, uh, or other junior colleagues that I'm around. I had the exact same takeaway where stole it from you. Know, yes. Yeah. You got me first, but that he, has built this phenomenal career of his own, but it wouldn't have been, you know, he wouldn't, I don't know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but you know, what gave him the confidence? Well, these phenomenal mentors gave him that confidence. The phenomenal mentors gave him that time and, and consideration to, to do it. Everything from his, his first boss at the TBC Boston being a, uh, a maintenance guy to the, to the construction company and then onward and just got great bosses, great mentors make all the difference is what was my, my key takeaway and um, no shock. I mean, when you hear Jim Wagner and Gil Hans, you know, speak, you just you get a sense that they're genuine, honest people who are, are going to put people first. And, and that was, that was maybe my second takeaway is that all these incredible projects they've worked on all these incredible places that we all aspire to play golf or most of us aspire to, to someday visit and play these places. It, it ain't done by just kill hands. There is a team behind them that make that happen. And, you know, when he talked about the tweaks of the little things that, you know, the, the, the old image that they had out and the construction mm -hmm. companies going, could we just build this thing? Like it may, it gives you such an appreciation for your round of golf and, mm -hmm. and, and all the little things that came together for you to have that really compelling experience, you know, um, you, you almost wish it didn't require all those things, right. Back to the, the, the old country and just a lot of it was, was there and mm -hmm. it takes a lot less to, to maintain, but here better or worse, 
it does require a lot of that. It requires guys like him to build that skill set and really dig into the details so that we have something truly special uh, to go out and and enjoy. And so it takes it takes a village. Is my other big takeaway from the, yeah, the conversation. Well said. And um, and yeah, it was it was fun. Thanks to our uh, presenting sponsor of this podcast, True Temper Golf, the number one shaft in golf, manufacturer of True Temper Project X, Aerotech, Acra brand of golf shafts. They also, Professor, I don't know how your lacrosse and hockey game are, but True Temper is cleaning up in the hockey arena and in the Ooh. golf or the lacrosse. Their stuff is insanely good. And if you're a member of New Club and you're headed to the Founders Cup, uh, there'll be a discount for all non-golf. Uh, sorry, we we know we would clean out True Temper if it was golf discounts, but uh, non-golf apparel and, and equipment and hockey sticks and lacrosse sticks for kids and yourself. It they, they make great stuff. True Temper has been a fantastic partner. Played on the PJ Tour by over 80% of the world's best. So um, thank you, True Temper. Thank you, Professor, for a lovely morning uh, before your match. Go get him. Go get that W, buddy. We're working I, on it. We're going to try. T-Flip Challenge. Fate be on your side. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, we'll catch you next time.